Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to talk about how to get to your first 100 customers when you're starting a new business. Uh, Rick is devoting more time to Leg Up Health. He's validated product market fit, and he's ready to start acquiring those customers. So we're going to talk about, does it make sense to go out and work his personal network or try to put together a real repeatable marketing funnel or try something else? So we'll dive into all of that. But first, let's give some updates. What's up this week, Tyler? I've, uh, I think I kind of referenced in previous week that I'm starting to kind of get in the the mode of this is the new normal working from home and stuff like that. So honestly, it's a pretty uneventful week for me. Um, tonight, I'll be teaching a course for what's called Venture School, which is a um, like a startup school thing here in St. Louis. So I'm teaching a course on SaaS metrics and KPIs. So that's kind of on my mind right after this. Nice. When do you do that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Sometime this evening. <laughs> I'm just giving this one like lecture and then otherwise I'm not involved with the the thing. But yeah, so I'm going to have to act like I'm some kind of expert on metrics and stuff tonight. <laughs> nice. Will the will the video be publicly available? I don't think so. I think this is uh like a private. It's I I actually honestly don't know a ton about it, but I think it's like a handful of it's a somewhat selective uh chosen group of people that are participating in it. Um so I did that. Uh, I don't have a ton of updates. Uh, one thing I do want to do is shout out. I'm using a new software tool called ScreenJar, which uh, so ScreenJar.com, I think. Let me make sure that's actually the website, but it's called ScreenJar, uh, made by one of our listeners, actually. Yeah, ScreenJar.com. Um, it's the first time in a long time I've actually just found a new software tool that I really like, and it's just super simple and easy to use and helpful. Um, so what it does is we... Uh, it's for customer service. Basically, if a customer is having a problem and normally prior to this, we would go back and forth with them like, well, have you tried this? Can you do that? We can't reproduce it. What exactly are you doing? And customers are just terrible. It's not all of them, but some of them are terrible at explaining what's going on. They'll be like, oh, I clicked the button and it didn't work. You're like, okay, you're going to have to give us more details than that. What button, what page are you on when you say it didn't work? Half the time they mean it did work, but I don't like what the next screen looks like. I don't like what the way screen it works. Yeah, exactly. What ScreenJar does is you just send them a link and you're like, do whatever you're you're talking about, record your screen, and then hit stop, and it'll send us a recording, and then we can tell you what's going on. Ah, that's interesting. So basically a way to have someone reproduce it without having to translate their the the experience to you. They just you just record the experience and um you don't you don't like lose any uh sort of accuracy due to their you know translation. Yeah, exactly. And it there used to be so much back and forth. And I'll admit, I mostly am not the one doing support. So this is somewhat secondhand in terms of that it's working. But instead of just a bunch of email, emails back and forth, it's like you see a video, you immediately see what the problem is. And they can record their audio too, so they can kind of talk you through what they're seeing. And previously, it would have been like emails back and forth for a while. And then like, okay, well, let's get on a phone call. Let's set up screen sharing, which is always a pain. Now, like, there's zero CRM coach time. It's just, here's the video. So I, I'm really happy with it. Cool. How do customers like it? Um, so far, I think we have heard nothing from customers, which is what you want, right? They're, they get a link, they record it, and there's like, okay, done. What next? 
Uh, we have not heard any feedback, which I think means it's pretty frictionless for them. That'd be great. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm interested in following this because I have to pick. This is going to be an important part of my experience. I, does this um, require them to be using your app, or could they go onto like a third party app and record their? Is it like a browser based session? Yeah, it's browser based, but it records your whole screen, so you could use it for anything. This would be great for for Legup Health because we use a number of third party tools for enrollment purposes. So someone could be logging into their um, health insurance company portal. They could be logging into their enrollment portal, which is a tool called Health Sherpa, um, or they could be logging into the Leg Up Health portal. So I could see this becoming incredibly useful, especially for logging into accounts for which we, as Leg Up Health, don't have access. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it could be really helpful. And you know, this is actually something I've wanted. This isn't like I just stumbled upon it and it happened to, I was like, oh yeah, we could use this. I've thought before, why don't we just have an asynchronous way for the customer to show us what's on their screen? And uh, yeah, it's great. So I, I encourage people to look at it and it's brand new. So I've given a ton of feedback and the founder has like reacted to all of it and I'm getting really the product I want here, which is awesome. <laughs> and who's who's the founder? Uh, Rami, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um I, I, we followed each other on Twitter, but otherwise I don't really know him, but, uh, he listens to the podcast apparently. So if you're listening, shout out, you got a good product. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Maybe a new customer too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, what's, what's up with you? Well, I'm in Bear Lake, uh, this week. It's been really nice. Sable and I decided to come out here Saturday, last Saturday morning. And so, uh, we've had the place to ourselves. It's a uh, Bear Lake is, I think I've talked about it before in the podcast. It's, north of Salt Lake City, Utah, on the border, sort of like on the uh, Idaho-Utah-Wyoming border. So within you know a radius of 20 miles, you can be in three different states. Um, in fact, uh, the closest liquor store is in Idaho. So if I want to go get like wine or something, I think technically I have to bootleg. Because uh, <laughs> it's not legal it to do that, right? I don't, I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm going to I don't want you to tell me whether it's legal or not on this podcast so I can still be ignorant about it. Um, <laughs> is intentional ignorance like, is that still ignorance? <laughs> so I think anyway. that's not a legal protection, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, anyway, I, I, the, you know, the, cl- the closest by like 50 miles is uh, this, this uh, shop in Idaho and Idaho has, has incredibly different um, liquor laws than Utah, which are, you know, Utah's laws are famously, uh, limiting. So, um, I'm interested to try it out, but I'm, but I'm, you know, I haven't done it yet, so I haven't committed a crime and I'm not sure if it is a crime. So if I do get caught doing something I wasn't supposed to like bringing in alcohol from Idaho, I have, uh, you know, ignorance to defend me. (laughs) Yeah, it may not be. I just know when we lived in park city, you had to go to Wyoming to get a keg because Utah doesn't sell kegs. And I know that was something you are not supposed to do, but Probably bringing wine in is not a problem. <laughs> it's de- purely for a convenience factor. I'm not trying to break any rules here. Right, right. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's been really nice. I uh, We were in a condo downtown Salt Lake for most of quarantine prior to this. And, you know, it's we have a nice, you know, condo uh, downtown, which is where we're lucky to have it. But, you know, getting outside requires four flights of stairs or an elevator, um, you can't open the windows, you know, it's just like little things like that. So being out here to be able to walk around, see a beautiful big lake, um, feel like small again, uh, you know, and, and, and experience nature. I, it's been really nice. So I'm going to, 
we're going to at least yeah. stay out here through the weekend. I'm hoping that we can, you know, if we, if we, if we do have to go back home for a little bit, I hope we can come back and do it again. And sorry, did you say, is this a rental or did one of your parents? This is a family, this is a, this is a family, um, house. So, uh, Sable, her mom and uh, her aunt, uh, uh, and of course their significant others, um, went in on it and, it's a, nice. it's, it's been, it, we rarely are we out here that when no one else is out here. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to experience a, 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 it's a sizable house. So it's, you know, two people in this house is a little weird. Um, but, uh, we have a bunch of family members, um, coming up this weekend to practice, uh, family social distancing in a house. And, uh, we're, uh, we're looking forward to seeing some family first time in about a month. Cool. Yeah, I also live in an apartment that I can at least open my windows, but otherwise, yeah, it takes five minutes to get outside and all that. And uh, I've never in my life have wanted a house with a yard or anything like that until this quarantine thing happened. It's like, it would be nice to be able to just step outside. That would be a nice little perk. Yep. Yep. So um, I encourage it. Next time you're out in Utah, we should check out Bear Lake if it makes sense. Um all right, completed. Uh, the, the other thing I've, I've done is I've completed the new panellabs.org website um, and uh, portal. So most of the individual contributor work is done. And now it's just about getting uh, working with the rest of the team to transition people over to the platform uh, and launch the website in May. So that's kind of nice. I'm seeing uh, you know light at the end of the tunnel for my project of Panda Labs, which uh, should be up in June. And I hope to be able to fall back sort of as a member of the organization, still be active and you know part of the community, but being able to rededicate that time to Leg Up Health now that I'm revenue uh, positive, which is my next update. Leg Up well, Health. Sorry, does does that mean your panda like your uh, group current revenue goes down, or is it like you just kind of have monthly revenue coming in and you don't have to worry about it? So a uh, group current. Um, this is I wasn't expecting to update on this today. But I could probably go into a. This could be a topic. I'm uh, my partner David and I have actually decided to shut down Group Current as of this week, oh. and we're going to let the contract run out through uh, June June 30th with Panda Labs. And then, um, you know, if if Panda Labs wants to retain either of us in you know a, a similar capacity, that will be handled on a you know individual basis. And uh, um, you know, we'll we'll go ahead and I forget what the word is, but you know terminate group current and file an early tax filing for 2020 and be done. Um, it's been an incredible learning experience. Um, but it's like the first, uh, first casualty, I guess, of leg up ventures. Um, although I, I hardly call it a casualty. Like it, exa- we, we probably shouldn't have created a company to go after the use case that we had in hindsight. Um, we could have created a joint venture with our two firms, um, and, uh, and sort of gotten the same effect. Um, ultimately, uh, David is going to pursue a lot of what Group Current was doing under a new brand uh, called Rehab Rehabilitation Health, um, and um, he's uh, you know if you want to see more about that, go to rehabilitationhealth.com, and he's going to continue down the community front. Um, I'm going to sort of fall back into uh, leg up health and focus on that. Cool. Well, yeah, maybe I, that would be interesting to whatever you're willing to share to kind of talk about what is the process of. You hear a lot about starting companies. You hear a little bit about selling companies. You don't hear a lot about gracefully exiting without selling. So uh, that'd be interesting to hear about sometime. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think 
you know, maybe once we get through the whole process and it's done, that'd be a great time to cover it. I think uh, the way David and I have handled the situation um, as partners is what you would hope for. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of one, you know, not getting greedy, and two, um, you know, helping each other, helping each other, uh, you know, get to the next. You know, re- having um, c- you know, constant conversation around how well things are going and moving, you know, so that when you know one of one or both of you are ready to move on, it's not a surprise. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm excited that for you to to have more time to dive into what is clearly more of a passion for you. So that's exciting. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing um, that really triggered this for me this week was last week, right after we got off the phone um, at Startup to Last, I got confirmation that all of my uh, what are called broker of record requests for leg up health went through. And basically what this means is my core hypothesis with leg up health has been proven true in that I can find an individual health, individual worker in, in Utah and, and then, you know, get them to make me the broker on their health insurance policy, which is called the broker of record, and then submit that and start earning revenue the next month. And I've proven that now with six with six beta users. So May 1st, I'm revenue positive. And now that I'm there, it's like, that is the, you know, we talked about different sources of capital for a bootstrap business. And one of the best ways to bootstrap a business is to start making money from your customers. And now that I've you know broken that, it's like, I've sort of turned my, my attention this week has been on how do I remove distractors from leg up health? How do I, you know, and it's, I've gotten more aggressive with that, honestly. I've had to, that's awesome. I, I, I had been, uh, you know, signing up for a lot of volunteer activities, a lot of uh, sort of it, what I would call just help helping startups and it, like being an advisor type thing. And I'm having to pull back on that stuff now that, uh, now that I'm realizing, wow, like I can go a lot faster now with leg up health and it's time to push, push, uh, push the gas pedal. And this, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, sorry to talk so much, but this, uh, you know, I want to get to the topic. Um, this, this, what this means though is is that I do want to spend more time on leg up health, you know, in total. But I also need to rethink how I'm spending my time at leg up health. For the past uh, forty five to sixty days, I uh, I remember we had a, an episode. I can't remember which episode it was, but you really challenged me on the eighty twenty. I was at the time I was spending eighty percent of the time I was allocating to leg up health sort of servicing clients and, and talking to potential clients or potential users. And uh, you challenged me to sort of reverse that because a lot of the assumptions that I was worried about in the business were around product, not around customer acquisition. Um, and so once I did that, uh, I, I uh, moved much quicker on the product and I've wrapped that up now and proven this assumption. So I, I'm ready to, you know, I'm a, a week or two away. I've, I've still got a couple of things to polish up on the portal um, to make it like, you know, what I want to introduce my first customers to. Um, but you know, there aren't a whole lot of assumptions that need to be proven. It's just a, it's more of an execution question. So, um, you know, n- knowing that I, I can I have visibility to like let's just say the second week in May, and I need to start reversing the eighty twenty, where twenty percent goes to product and eighty percent is going to um, customer acquisition and service. Um, the service is going to be really light because I only have you know set you know six six broker of records, ten beta users. Um, so you know most of it's customer acquisition. The other factor here is that I'm massively increasing the time each week I'm investing in leg up health. So that twenty percent that I'll be spending on product is going to be roughly equivalent uh, to what I was already spending on product at eighty percent of my time. 
So you know, when you look at this, what I'm really doing is I'm, I'm maintaining the same amount of work I'm doing on product and then throwing all of my, throwing all of my new time towards like up health and, uh, and, and spending a, like almost four times uh, the time I was spending on like up health. It's interesting. This is the same type of thing that happens when you make, when you hire people. I think everyone knows you hire people and you get more bandwidth, but for bootstrapped companies in the early days, the first person you hire is yourself. So you really just made your first hire here. It sounds like. Yeah. I'm now, I guess you could say I'm as close to full-time at leg up health as I've been. Um, and I, I would say I'm more like a, a full-time normal person. I'm not yet a Rick full-time uh, because I've got other things going on, but I can't wait to like, it, it's, it's exciting to get to this point. It makes you want to, it makes you feel the benefit of focus, but it also makes you want to just get rid of everything else. And so I'm having to, like not get too greedy with my time right now. I've got commitments out there, you know, that I need to hold. And, um, but I do, I do see like my July, this being a full-time thing. Like, you know, I, 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 I really do. That's great. I, I was a little worried that you were sort of over committed to various things. Not that as long as you wean yourself off that, that's no problem. But I was worried that like, you'd never have the time to really commit to this, but it sounds like you're, you know, it'll take a few months, but you're going to get to the point where the same way you were committed to people keep before you'll be that way, that committed to this soon. Totally. Totally. And I, I, I remember, do you remember talking with Paul and I don't know, back in the day, this Paul Pills are, um, are, uh, the founder of Zane Benefits and, and mentors to both of us when we were sort of figuring out what to do at Zane Benefits. Um, I remember him because he, we had all kinds of products. We had Group HRA, Zane HRA, iPop we were trying to build. We had Zane AMC, Zane Individual, some other Zane thing, and Zane yeah. this and Zane that. We had our own CR, like I don't know. Um, but Paul, like what I think Paul, one thing Paul taught me was in the early days when you're trying to figure out a business um, to throw your, your weight behind that's real, it's a lot of throwing noodles up again. I think he said this. I, you know, you got to throw a bunch of noodles up on the wall and see what sticks. And I've done that over the last, you know, since May really of last year, it's been about a year. And, um, you know, this is what's sticking for me. Uh, and I, uh, I can't, I'm not, you know, you know, could I've gotten here faster with focus? Yeah, maybe, but there were some things that I got a lot of good things I got out of group current and that, you know, and, and through the other things that I've tried that, uh, I think give me the confidence to know that this is a real thing relative to the other things that I've tried and, and to have, you know, on us, on us now that I know that it's real, have more, um, sort of, uh, confidence in driving towards focus on this than I would have otherwise. Yeah. Great. Cool. Well, I guess let's dive in then. Yeah. So with that context, I want to spend today talking about how to acquire the first 100 customers for a B2C company. Um, and I want to emphasize B2C here. This is not a B2B business. Um, it, there are B2B a- applications, but at its core, this is a B2C business. Health insurance is an individual consumer product. Um, that and, and the type of health insurance that I'm going to be brokering is purchased by the health by the individual directly from the health insurance company or uh, from a marketplace um, in their state or from the federal marketplace. Um, and so uh, I have very little experience, uh, admittedly, um, with running a B2C company. Um, most, all of my experience is in, a B2B, in the B2B space. Now, the nice thing about my experience in the B2B space is I, I have worked with uh, primarily micro businesses. Um, uh, you know, and so 
I'm used to a transactional sale, but I'm not used to this super low, uh, you know, average revenue per user being like the customer. I'm used to having, you know, some sort of setup fee um, and a, you know, some number of employees times an, an ARPU um, and that, or average revenue per user. And I'm not, this is new to me. Um, uh, so, so I, uh, you know, both from a marketing, um, you know, most of the people I've talked to, they're saying that this is more of a direct response type marketing uh, funnel. Um, whereas, you know, most of the, you know, the, 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 the B2B stuff that I've done in the past has been, you know, you're not doing direct response. You're, you're, you're trying to generate awareness and then nurture someone through the, the cycle of buying. Um, and in, you might throw an ad, but they're not likely to buy. Can you define direct response, meaning like that it's transactional, like they're ready to buy on the spot? Yeah. Like, uh, you're going to serve an ad and they're going to click on it and you're pitching them on their product right away. And they don't mind because that's what they clicked on. Yeah. Sort of like, and it's it's nice that everyone, everyone has to buy health insurance. So you don't have to like talk them into, it's not like selling them something they don't need. Right. Yeah. And this is, I think um, I'm reading a book right now. I forget what it's called, but it's on, it's, it's on the concept of sold, not bought. Um, so insurance is traditionally sold. That's why you have insurance agents and the in mentality, historical uh, mentality around health insurance agents is it's a, I'm going to, I got prospects. I got to go pitch them and I got to go close them. Um, so there is sort of like a market sort consumer, uh, just expectation that if you're in the insurance business, you're going to sell something. And so part of my unique positioning is that, um, I'm treating this as a, I, I would like people to start thinking about the broker um, as someone that you buy um, that's not getting that's not selling you. It's someone who's more of an advisor to you than a salesperson. So that'll be a little bit different um, in terms of uh, how we market. But um, assuming um, that I uh, d- do what I said I was going to do earlier, which is um, wrap up the product development for the MVP in the next two weeks. I, I want to spend 80% of my time pushing towards the milestone of 100 clients. Um, and I'd like to spend today talking about, you know, the things that I should be doing um, to get there and not just get there necessarily fast, but the right way. So um, for example, I could, I could, you know, pretty easily, not easy. easy I should not use the word easy. I could effectively go, out and just make phone calls and talk to people, reach out on LinkedIn and find a hundred customers. But I don't know how repeatable that would be for the next 100. And so well, I guess like what I, one thing I want to talk about is if my milestone is 100, first of all, feel free to challenge me on whether or not that's the right milestone. Um, what's the best pathway to get there? Like, is it, uh, is it just any way possible or is it testing different, cha- you know, different channels? And then, you know, if, if so, what channels and you know how do I go about this so that it's the right way to get to 100 versus the necessarily the fastest way? Okay, yeah. So let me ask some questions here. So first off, like, is did you pick 100 just because it's a nice round number, or does that milestone mean something in terms of like that's what you need to survive or something like that? Um, I liked it because it's one fourth of what I would call a full time my first full time hire. So um, one of key assumption in the business is. I'm lying. I think uh, I think 
it's a, it's a round number. It's an attainable number. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think I could sprint towards in a quarter or two. So when you say it's not the first hundred you can get just by hitting the pavement or whatever, um, the next hundred might not be scalable. Do you mean that it would get harder or do you just mean it wouldn't get easier? I sold Cutco knives when I was a kid. You know Cutco? Mm-hmm. Okay. The thing about, yeah, it's an ML. Yeah, it's an MLM. But they're great knives, man. You got yeah, do you have Cutco in your house? <laughs> You're selling them right now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I have Cutco. I, I I have every like silverware we have is Cutco. I love Cutco. That's not the point of the story. Um, Cutco basically, you know, goes and gets high school kids and college kids. And when you first start out selling Cutco, it is really easy because you hit your, it's all relationship marketing. So you hit the people in your network first and the people in your network are much easier to sell because you have a relationship with them. And there's some, like, there's a bit of obligation of like just being your friend or your family's friend that they have to buy. So Cutco, my experience from Cutco tells me that each degree away I get for myself and my network, the harder and harder that sort of a network-based grind will be. So I actually think my hypothesis, I don't know this for sure, but my hypothesis is that um, it'll be easy to sell this to my mom. But then once I get to, uh, you know, uh, the guy that's that, that you know that knows a guy, um, that's going to be a lot harder to sell. So as I increase the number, you know, I think the, the number gets harder. So that like seems plausible to me, but also that seems not that hard to, to validate that assumption to say like, yes, maybe you want to start with your network. That's easy to sell to, but you could kind of intentionally put it on hard mode and be like, start working with your current customers and get the refer like do what it would do what what you would need to do after you've saturated your personal network and just see how hard it really is totally i guess my question is um less about how to get there it's more about like what is success like okay is getting to 100 customers success more successful if i do it in three in four four weeks versus 12 weeks or is how I get to the first 100 customers more important than how long it takes? That's ultimately the question I have. I have let's just say I have 10 customers right now. I want to 10x it. I don't care how long it's going to take me, but I want to do it the right way so that I'm set up to go get the next 300. Yeah. Because 400 is a huge milestone. And, and your goal, I mean, it's worth even looking further than that. I think your goal is not 400. It's you want to employ a big team of people. You want to grow this into a big company one day, right? Uh, to be more specific, I'd say I want this to be to 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 be. I do not want this to be a solo solo entrepreneur like indie hacker thing. Um, I want it to grow into something that employs people. I don't know how big I care about it being, but I want it to be something that allows me to benefit from bringing on people who figure things out and allow us to bring on more people. Hopefully. Mm hmm. The reason I'm asking these questions is it sounds to me like there's a path towards getting more revenue that is more of a sure thing and maybe faster or if not faster, just more reliable. And that's doing what you've been doing, work your network and just go out and sell it. And if, if your concern is that you want to uh, 
basically you need the money and you're trying to run like a good one person business, maybe that can get you where you need to go. But you don't think that's scalable. It's probably not what you want to spend your time doing anyway. And and so eventually you're going to have other growth channels that are you know, more automated and more sophisticated, like what you did at People Keep. And the question is like, you're going to need those eventually. Do you start on those now or do you get the revenue the easy way first and then worry about that other stuff later? Is that how you're thinking about this? I can tell you how I'm thinking about it specifically. So I guess um, I'm speed, I don't think is my goal, but I, I question, I, you know, I want to be challenged on that because. This is, I think, where where I am looking for some comfort out of this call, out of this podcast episode, is is it okay to be methodical about this? Um, the way I'm, the way I'm thinking about it, or is like growth and speed more important right now for some reason that I don't understand? Um, it definitely like no. feels good to like tell people like, oh, I just two next my customers over the last quarter. But like, what you know, I, I don't like that might look cool to the outside, but it, it, you know, I don't know that there's anything repeatable there, you know, that, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I do. And, and I've gotten, I wouldn't say criticism exactly for less annoying serum because I had these conversations after we'd already passed the point that you could criticize it. But like, I've seen so much advice out there that what we did was wrong. And they're like, you weren't growing fast enough. You should have basically I've seen advice that we should have abandoned the business because if after six months you're not paying your full-time salary, it's not a good enough business. Get out or something like that. The reality is if you're not in a huge rush, which I wasn't, and it sounds like you're not, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't consider that option, but there's no pressure to do it quickly. I don't think. I I guess my bigger question is what's, whether I have pressure or not, what's the right way to do it? Yeah. And it's, um, it, does it matter? Like, is it better to go fast and then reflect and iterate? Or is it better to sort of experiment your way? You know, is it better to have sort of a steep curve that levels off? Or is it, mm-hmm. you know, and you reflect afterwards? Or is it better to have sort of this slow, like, you know, exponential increase as you figure things out? I prefer the second. Yeah, and I, I I agree. But the reason I was asking questions about what your goals are and stuff, if the the quick increase in plateau, if that plateau is above what your ambition is, you don't need to figure anything else out. But that's not the case for you. You you will need to figure out the methodical approach at some point. There's no question about that, right? One one benefit of the the huge increase is that it does give me budget to work with. So. Mm-hmm. You know, there is an argument that maybe I should focus on just sheer numbers and not be so methodical about it. Um, maybe for the first sum number, because it will give me money to run experiments via other channels. That makes sense. And there's there's also one other argument I would give for that. Although I think at the end of this, I'm not I'm not actually going to side with that. But let me act like I do for a second, which is something. Okay, there's kind of two things businesses do. One is they try to test assumptions and learn things. And then the other is once they've learned things, they like go execute on it. A big thing you haven't fully learned yet, I think, is how many people can one like rep or whatever handle and how easy is it for them to to do the service and stuff like that. And when you're thinking about bringing people on and stuff like that, which it sounds like is going to be a really key part of your business, 
there's a lot of assumptions you still need to validate there, and you might be able to validate them faster if you go with the manual sales approach. Totally. Do you buy that? Yeah, and, and I'm I guess what I'm getting caught up in now is what I what's a more important assumption to learn how to like predictably increase the number of customers or how to you know staff a service person. And I guess if I had to choose between those two, I'd pick predictable sales. And the reason would mm-hmm. be I, I would feel pretty uncomfortable bringing on a service person if I didn't feel confident in my ability to grow the business um, and ensure their you know, you know, secure your job security. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think you could give the argument the other way that similarly, like, do you feel comfortable growing the business if you don't know that you can staff it? But I, I, you have to do one or the other. I, or actually I could see an argument for doing a little bit of both, but I think you're going to love like a, a situation I found myself in a lot is I don't know what the right thing to do is, but I know what I want to do. And the productivity gain you get from doing the thing you're interested in almost changes, even if it's the wrong decision, you're so much more effective at it, it becomes the right decision. And it sounds like you're much more eager about going after the methodical growth here. Yes, I love the puzzle. So um, I love, like, to me, what's most interesting about this problem is this business only works. I mean, I shouldn't say it it only works for me given my constraints on the business, if, if one plus one equals more than two. And, and so, um, I think figuring out that is much more interesting to me than numbers right now. Now, Mm -hmm. like how many customers I have, how much revenue is, is coming in. Now, what I will say is I think it's harder to test things without a budget. Uh, and so I like one thing like the, this, this conversation is, is making me feel is that there, maybe there's some number of, of clients I need to get, you know, before I start worrying about the methodical approach so that I'm covering my base expenses, um, which is, I'm, I'm putting in as 1000 a month just to like, it's aggressive. Um, but that's, that's roughly 20, 25 users. Um, okay. So like that would cover my base. You have what? Seven now you said or something? Uh, six paying 10 total. And I expect some of those people to convert. I'm I'm assuming like a 75% conversion rate on users to broker of record. So if I sign up for, you know, 500 users, I should get 75 broker of records. So probably there's not going to be a single answer here that's just like clearly correct but it sounds to me like one option would be if you're doing 80 20 right now 80 growth 20 product take that 80 and do another 80 20 and say for now until you get to 25 users pound the pavement and then once you get there flip it i would say don't ever totally stop the manual growth just because it seems like it'll kind of keep some momentum going and what do you mean i don't think you should totally the, the going out and networking and all that, if you can just keep a trickle of customers coming in that way, I would say don't like totally abandon that until the the repeatable engine is really working. But I, it sounds to me like it's a balancing act of how much you invest in one versus the other. Now it's more the non-repeatable kind because that gets you the budget to fund the repeatable kind. But I think in both scenarios, I'd say do a little bit of both. Yeah, maybe I can walk through what I'm currently thinking for the different things I want to try. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then we can talk about maybe ordering and what should I, I should do from the start. Um, yeah, I would say like what's first and then what's next. And then maybe there's two things I start with versus all of them or, you know, just one. So, uh, you know, one is obviously like I want to reach out to my existing customers that are ideal and say, hey, who do you know? Like, and that's, I think I need to design a simple customer referral program. It doesn't need to be anything crazy. It's just something that says, Hey, they get something, you get something, everyone wins. Um, and, uh, that's easy to just like write a page on and put a, put a, you know, a link, put, put a, a website page up that says, explains what it is in the portal. Um, then it's like, I, I think I do that. And then I go, the reason I want to do that first is because it means that each person I bring on will be presented with that with that referral program, and so it uh, it not only does it incentivize existing customers to refer, but each new customer I bring on via the next channel, it uh, they, you know they get a referral offer as well. So it's sort of like a built into the product type thing. I like that because it's it's both of these like that is the pound the pavement, non-repeatable thing, because you're going to kind of be selling to them. But it also builds this repeatable engine that over time, you'll put less and less manual effort in and it'll become more of an automated flow. I like that a lot. Awesome. Um, the, the second thing that that I want to do is I want to seek introductions. And I and I really, I, I don't want this to be like a referral thing uh, on this one. It's more of like a, hey, do you know anyone? Would you be willing to introduce me? Seek introductions to ideal customers um, via my immediate personal network. Um, I haven't nearly exhausted that. Um, like I have, like, I think I, there's a lot of fruit there to like. If mm-hmm. I were just you know, reaching out to people and saying, "Hey, please help me out. Please help me out," um, I would find some people. And, and I don't know what the number is, but let's just you know quickly do the math. I could probably acquire one client per day. Um, uh, okay. But that's you know, the for, that's really the pinnacle of what you mean by the non-repeatable thing, because eventually you'd exhaust your network and it's over. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, and then let's see. So that's that's the second thing. And then the third is, um, what I would like to try to do is figure out how to um, maybe re- you know, cold reach outs to try cold reach outs to people based on some segmentation. So maybe I find that. Uh, Ideal customers have these commonalities and I can run on like LinkedIn sales navigator, which man, I hate that I'm even talking about this because of what people do to me. Um, but write really thoughtful emails direct to people who are likely to buy their own health insurance and just see where that goes. Um, that would be the third thing. Uh, fourth, and this is like sort of um, once revenue starts coming in and I've covered my monthly expenses, I'd like to start investing some percentage of my profit back into experimenting with um, what I would call direct response, um, you know, ad, ads via digital marketing channels. So like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Quora, Reddit, and whatever else like is out there that I don't know about right now. And just seeing if I can, if I can generate, um, you know, leads uh, that, or customers, you know, just people who sign ups, free trials, whatever we want to call them. Request, I guess it's request access, access request would be my main thing. Um, you're, you're probably talking to everyone at this stage, right? Is stuff so automated that you're imagining this being totally self-service? Um, at this point, it could be. I could, hook, could, I could be, okay. hook two things up and it could be completely self-service, but I'm blocking the um, sort of like superhuman. 
I'm blocking the sign up process so that I can really qualify someone up front. And okay. I, I like that. That simplifies this a lot for sure. Yeah. Okay. So what I really like, I guess in terms of that type of, at the end of the day, like all of these are related to like, I want to get someone to a point where they request access, which lets me qualify them and provide them access if they're qualified. And a qualified person is someone who buys their own health insurance in Utah um, and is willing to make me the broker. Cool. So I can tell you right off the bat, one of these four, and just to repeat, of the four, there's referrals from existing customers, reaching out to personal network, basically cold outreach to people over LinkedIn or whatever, and then advertising kind of direct, whatever you call it, direct response. Of those four, one stands out to me as being clearly less interesting than the other four. Reaching out cold. Um, Yeah, because at the end of the day, you're effectively getting leads that you're going to talk to. And those are the coldest of the leads. Like, even though the direct uh, response things are, you've never talked to them before, presumably they clicked a link. They wanted to come to you looking for this versus you getting in someone's face and being like, hey, do you want to buy insurance? And odds are most people, especially right now in this time of year. I want to be very clear. I'm not going, uh, do you want to buy insurance? I know that's how they're going to perceive it. And that's the marketing challenge. It's a different message. But my point is like, they don't, I, okay. The, the fourth bucket, the direct response, presumably they're actually coming to you, right? They're, they're looking for information on health insurance or something. So that's a different type of warm. The other three, they're not, you're, you're trying to, you know, you're right. You, that wouldn't be your message, but you're basically trying to sell to them. In that case, the warmer, the better. And people you've never met before are not going to be very warm. Sure. So uh, what does that mean for me? Like you would, you would, you would not try it. Uh, I wouldn't try it unless uh, other you've exhausted. Uh, like here, I'll say this: I think your business hopefully never needs to do that. It's not clear to me that like, well, one day we're definitely going to have to do this, so let's get started right now. That would only be a stopgap until you get a real growth channel in place, and it's not even a particularly good stopgap, is my guess. So I would say throw it out unless these other things fail, and you're like, I just have to try something. Cool. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, I, I get what you're saying. So that's that's sort of what I'm thinking. Um, I want to be very clear here too. This is I'm massively constraining my lead gen here uh, to the B to Z B to C funnel. But one really th- cool thing about this business model is that um, I'm targeting workers who buy their own health insurance. So hypothetically, when I sign up a client who is a worker who buys their own health insurance, they have coworkers who buy their own health insurance, and they work for a company or an entity whether that's through a contract relationship or through an employment relationship that does not offer group health insurance to their employees. And so there is a B to C to B opportunity that could, that could present itself. And I am intentionally ignoring that right now because I want to, I want that B to B stuff um, you know, g- getting employer referrals to their employees, an employer product even, getting referrals from HRA providers, health reimbursement arrangement providers that provide for the reimbursement of health insurance. These They're called third-party administrators in the space, TPAs, getting referrals from people who service employers, getting referrals from group, getting um, sort of referrals from group health insurance agencies who don't want to serve as an individual. These are all B2B relationships. I'm intentionally not do- going after those things 
and focusing on the B to Z front, because if I can figure out the B to C, my hypothesis is, is if I can figure out the B to C front, I can, I then have something that I can accelerate with B to B stuff. If I can't, then I can, then I'm going to have to fall, fall back on the B to B front. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that approach. When you approach a startup that doesn't offer health insurance or an HRA administrator or whatever, you want to say, I've got this machine that's humming. Everybody's happy. You've got nothing to worry about. You don't want to say like, trust, you know, this unproven thing. I'll, fi- I'll, I'll figure I'll, it I'll out try. on you. Yeah. I'll, yeah. You're, you're not, you're not, you're not a guinea pig, but you are. Right. So I, I think that's a really exciting and I think it's possible five years from now, your whole business is through these B2B channels, but I agree. It's not, you don't start there for sure. Cool. Um, yeah. So I guess, um, that's the path I'm considering, um, right now. Like, would you challenge anything that I'm working on? No, I, I think all of these seem like pretty clear ideas to me. To go back to the original question, the way now that we have specifics, the way I'm hearing it is option A is just to do somewhat manual outreach, which was option one and two, basically. Option one is go after referrals from existing customers. Option two is personal network. I think you'd, those are pretty similar. You'd probably do both of those. The question is, do you do that or do you do advertising type stuff or do you do both at the same time, right? And I, I think I need to constrain myself to the first two, and I would probably try the cold reach, cold outreach as well, um, because I think there's some learnings to be gained there. Um, but uh, I would probably just focus on those three, which is basically going out to people and asking questions, <laughs> um, yeah. ma- the manual approach. Um, and I would do that probably to, man, like I probably need to get to like 50 users before I could, you know, before I can have any capital to spend, you know, to spend on ads, unless I wanted to put more, you know, fund the ads through another, you know, another revenue source, which defeats I think my that focus makes opportunity. Sense. Yeah. The only thing I'd consider here is sometimes with other marketing channels, there th- with, there's things you can just spend your way to speed things up. And there's some things you just have to wait. For example, SEO is something that takes a while. Now, SEO is not a part of your plan here, but if it were, I'd like I'd, I'd maybe put enough time into the direct response thing to see, is there any part of that that when I decide to ramp this up, I'm just going to have a natural three-month wait or something like that? Maybe there's an argument to get started on that. Maybe you won't even have anything like that in that funnel. I don't know. I think with the direct response stuff, um, it requires capital to, to spin up. So you have to like be able to pay and then you're gonna have to, there's going to be some form of experimentation process. Hypothetically, my reach out prior to this should inform the marketing copy and the target customer. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but I don't think there's like, until I have money to spend on the ads, like there, there it's, there's not much I could can do other than sort of what I'm, you know, reach out cold and see what messaging resonates. Um, yeah. the, the, uh, on the other hand though, you brought up SEO and that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. I know SEO is important. Um, that's people keep ran on it, right? Where does it fit into something like this? Is it something I need to start investing in now? Is it something that I can wait on? It's expensive from a time standpoint. Yeah. And you've had more success with SEO than me. I, I've never really gotten it to work. I mean, we, we have thousands of organic hits a day to lessening CRM, which sounds like some level of success, but we've been around for 10 years. We've invested thousands of hours in it. 
And of those thousands of hits we're getting, most of them are totally unqualified. I've never really gotten it to work beyond uh, branded keywords. So I think at the very least, you want to start saying, if someone's looking specifically for leg up health, they need to be able to find that. I've already Uh, got that. You've already got that. I'm not... SEO is the dream. If you can get it to work, great. But I think you can run this whole business forever without ever... Like the pure version of SEO is someone searches for like Utah health insurance and your site comes up. That's a very tricky thing to do. Those are very competitive keywords. Yeah. It feels like that's a long-term game that's um, secondary to it. It's more likely my content creation is not going to be focused on SEO. Um, It's going to be focused on these other channels and eventually maybe that turns into some SEO content. But right now it just seems like something I need to not worry about other than just make sure that my site's optimized and I'm not getting penalized uh, for, from Google in the meantime. Yeah. And one thing I want to call out on this, like part of an SEO strategy normally you said you're doing B2B, B2C, not B2B. With B2B, you you get all these long tail keywords, you bring people in, you get them to join a newsletter or something and you nurture them. No individual consumer is interested in joining a newsletter to learn about insurance, right? So it, it does kind of change the game a little bit that you're selling to consumers and that they want, they're either looking for insurance, in which case they want to buy, or they're not looking for insurance, in which case there's no way in hell they're going to read anything you have to say, I think. Yeah, but you're, you know, th- what you're really saying is you know, what what you would normally write about as a B2B company is not what you would write about as a B2C company, but there there's probably a way to to make leg up health, leg up health content um intriguing and meaningful for a consumer. Um but uh yeah, just much harder to do. Like it's not something that they're a, an HR person or a small business owner is worrying about health insurance every year consistently <laughs> changing mm-hmm. a business sparks journeys whereas uh, a consumer is just not as top of mind at least that's what I, I i believe to be true right now so yeah i guess uh i know what i i think i i've got the plan i have i'm leaving with sort of sort of takeaways here i am I'm, I'm leaving with i have a pretty solid plan and i i just need to i might need to um i mean, i think i need to just kind of put the at the response, direct response stuff to the side, set a new goal of a fifty, you know, a new milestone of fifty users, and march towards that with manual reach out. And you know, once I get there, sort of stop, pause, reflect, and then you know, see what I want to keep doing uh, for you know to the next one hundred, um, and then you know, stop what I don't want to keep doing, and then add in the direct response. And so yeah. you know, I sort of have two milestones. Let's get to fifty. And then let's pause, and then let's start. Uh, let's go get 100 with a, with 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 uh, what I'm what, what what's working from my previous milestone, and then adding in the direct response stuff. Yeah, what do you think about and that? I would like. I, I think that all makes a lot of sense. I think it would if this is working. If this gets you to 50 and it's not a huge slog, I'd say it'd be probably a mistake at that point to totally stop it. But you need to start shifting resources to direct response. And the customer referral thing could, in theory, scale infinitely, but the personal network thing can't. So one of the things I would be looking at validating during this March to 50 is the difference between those two channels. And like, hopefully referrals are working well enough that you can keep doing it. That, that's what you're rooting for here. Yep. And uh, I, I'm, what I'm also realizing is sort of summarizing my first March to customer. My first March to customer milestone was let's get 10 uh, to get, um, you know, 
prove the product use case, prove the broker of record stuff. Um, and I've done that with beta users. Now it's like, I need to go get 50 to generate income so I can run experiments, uh, marketing experiments. And then I need to get to 100 so that I can, um, you know, prove out some of the, like, find some experiments that work and have more money to invest in more experiments and, and double down while also doubling down on the experiments that work. So it's really like a, kind of a three stage, you know, first 100 customers. First, get enough customers to prove your, pr- prove your product market fit or you prove your product, like build your product around. Second, get enough customers to, you know, break even and provide some, you know, profit for experimentation and then execute experiments and double down. Yeah. And it's interesting, this phase you're in right now from from 10 to 50 or whatever is of those three, the one that involves the least learning. It's just, just go get it done so you can get to the learning. Yeah. So yeah, the, you know, getting to your first 100 customers isn't the right question. It's like, what, well, getting to your, the, getting to break even and some form of profit, what is that number for you? Go get there as quickly as po- possible. Then, you know, start investing some of your profit back in the business to run experiments and be more methodical. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't expect to leave with this, but yeah, I need to speed right now is the name of the game. It's just a different number. And uh, once I get there, I can, I can start being more methodical. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that, uh, the decision had sort of been made to go the other way, you know, 30 minutes ago and it just kind of naturally evolved from there. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Any other uh, takeaways for you? No, I don't think so. I'm excited to see, uh, see your journey here. Hopefully you get to 50 pretty quick. Well, I've, I've declared it to the world now, so it's a sort of a it's a it's a mark of my I don't want to call it salesmanship, but my my hustle if I if it takes too long to get to fifty at this point. So yeah, um, we'll I would be, love we'll for you. To, in you I, Rick. Yeah, I would love for you to be uh, asking this. You know, you know, make sure I have to update you every week from now on. Yeah, if this isn't on your updates, I'll be like, man, Rick really is embarrassed about something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, um, have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week, Tyler. See ya.